Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. cocktail followed by oyster liqueurs. In the summer I went swimming in the summer. Yay for summer. Summer brings swimming, summer brings picnics in the park and summer brings the 3CR Summer Wine Fundraiser. Thanks to the support of Small Patch Wine Store in Hawthorne, we're selling 3CR Radical Radio labelled wines for only $15 a bottle. And they're even cheaper by the dozen or half dozen. Perfect as a gift or to fill a raised glass to toast 3CR at those summer festivities. Call the station between 9 to 5 on 9419 8377 to order or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. And you can drop into our Fitzroy studios to collect before the 21st of December. Summer, I went swimming in the summer. Small Patch Wine Store is a 3CR supporter. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Out of the Blue. And we are with you today live and on digital and on the interwebs and podcasted after the show as well. 
Womanjika, we acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land that we are broadcasting from. And we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening in today. And we also acknowledge that this land was never ceded. Welcome, everyone. We are just going to launch right into a very exciting phone interview today with Mike Ogden, who is a PhD student at the University of Melbourne and also the Max Planck Institute of Molecular Plant Physiology in Germany. And in July of this year, he competed in the Merck Innovation Cup in Germany. His team won the competition with their proposal to engineer E. coli to digest petroleum-based or PET plastics. Well, Mike, welcome on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I must say, when I heard about this research, I got really, really excited. Um, it's not often that we, uh, especially not in my line of work, that we hear about really positive solutions to our big plastic pollution problem. Um, so I guess what I would like to ask you first is, um, what, what exactly is this, is this competition about? And how did, you, how did you get involved in the Merck Innovation Cup? Yeah, so there was a, an email sent around the department uh, just about this competition based in Germany, hosted by the Merck Biopharmaceutical Company. Um, so it's an annual competition that they have. Um, you apply and they invite graduate students and postdocs from around the world, um, and they fly you to Germany. And then there it's about five days intensive workshops. Uh, you get split into teams. And... The goal is each team has, has uh, a different goal that they want to try to nail. And, and basically this year the, the theme was let's try to come up with ideas that have global impact that can help, uh, help different things uh, in different ways, like um, new ways of finding antibiotics or, um, or for us it was new ways of producing uh, bio-based compounds. Yeah, so the Merck Innovation Cup is organized by Merck and they're a biopharmaceutical organization, is that right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. And so um, how did you guys come up with your idea? Yeah, so we, yeah, we, we sat down and we kind of pitched a lot of different things, uh, what would have a, you know, the most positive global impact. Um, and uh, we all have kind of molecular biology backgrounds in, in my group. And, um, and what we figured was, well, plastic's a big problem. Uh, right now we produce a ton of plastic. A lot of it doesn't get recycled. About less than 30% of plastic actually gets recycled. Yeah, I think it's something and, like 9% worldwide. So yeah, it's pretty it, dismal. It, when you look at the numbers, it's actually quite staggering. Um, so, so we said, okay, what's the way that we can use to tackle this problem? Um, so even the, the, the plastics that do get recycled, they still stay within the environment. So the only real way that we have to get rid of them is by burning them. Not, not, we figured that's not really the best way to uh, approach to take. So... So uh, a couple of years back, there was a, a research team in, in Japan that visited a landfill, and they found bacteria that were able to grow on plastics, and they looked a little bit closer and saw that these bacteria were producing a new class of, of enzymes that can actually break down plastic, and then they used plastic as the food source. So we decided, hey, let's take a look at that and see how we can incorporate that into a project. Right, and so then you made the step of, of I guess, needing to select uh, a proper microorganism, right? Why did you go for E. coli? Right, so E. coli is already used at an industrial scale, so there's already existing infrastructure that these massive uh, um, pharmaceutical companies like Merck use so they, they can grow up E. coli in, in these big bioreactors, and they use that to produce lots of different types of compounds and pharmaceuticals, uh, things like insulin or different amino acids. So we figured E. coli uh, would be a pretty good one, and this bacteria that was growing on the plastic 
is um, is is you know, it's bacteria, so it's the same family, E. coli bacteria, so it might be easy to transfer the, those genes that encode these proteins into uh, industrial scale E. coli. So you so you worked with it uh, the infrastructure that was already there then. Um, that's interesting you say that because E. coli aren't those the bacteria that live in our gut? Yeah, so a lot of people associate E. coli with with disease or, or sickness, but there's actually it's a massive family. There's lots of E. coli that uh, won't hurt us at all. So we hear about the the bad ones that we associate it with. with bad yeah, things, the ones but. in Port Phillip Bay that you know when it rains a little bit, you kind of got to stay. You, you got to yeah. stay out of the water. Those kinds. That's <laughs> what you hear about most, right? Exactly. Yeah, but uh, no, these E. coli, uh, they're they're different. They they don't really harm anybody. So we just take advantage of of the organism and, and uh, see how we can modify it. Yeah, so so you said that they're usually used to produce insulin and other things, um, so so the technology is already there. Is that what, you, what you're meaning to say when you say we, we, we can modify them quite easily? Yep, exactly. So the technology is there. We know a lot about how to manipulate E. coli, and uh, we wanted to have a project that is actually feasible. So if we had to invent new types of infrastructure and technology, then it would be more of a far-fetched thing. So we wanted to use something that we could readily put into current pipeline. So how do you see this work in, in, in practice? Like, So you genetically modify the E. coli. And what happens? What exactly does it produce? So it produces two different uh, enzymes. So it kind of yeah produces it within the cell, and then it secretes it outside of the cell. And what these enzymes do is, well, if you think of PET plastic as a long chain, um, it's a long chain of, of two different molecules that are that are bound one after the other. And so one of the enzymes breaks the chain into units of, of two, and then the second enzyme breaks them into individual units or monomers. Uh, then the E. coli, or the bacteria, can take up those individual monomers, mon- uh, monomers and use those as its energy source. Right, so a monomer as opposed to a polymer, which is those really long chains that plastic is made out of that look a little bit like spaghetti, right? So you're going from spaghetti to uh, macaroni? Exactly. That's yeah, right. Over zoning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and then what happens? Yeah, so, so the kind of interesting approach that, that we took is that we know that these two enzymes exist that will break it, uh, the spaghetti into macaroni, we'll say. <laughs> um, and then we figured, okay, well, that, that's great, but how can we make this enticing for a company to actually invest in? How can they get an, a return on their inv- investment? Um, so... So what we did is we engineered, well, we figured out different pathways from other bacteria that can take those individual macaroni units and then produce something of value. Um, so we decided that we could, we could engineer existing pathways um, and make this bacteria produce methionine. Um, so methionine is an essential amino acid. We all need it to survive. We can't produce it ourselves. So uh, we get methionine from our diet from different types of meats and, and dairy. Um, so we figured, wouldn't it be cool to engineer bacteria that can use um, plastic as its food source instead of sugar, which is how, how we normally feed them? And then let's make something useful. Let's make the finding, um, which is used for humans and nutraceuticals, but mostly we add it to livestock feed. Um, so, yeah, that was the idea. Wow, that's pretty comprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> how does that work if um, the bacteria are consuming plastic monomers polymers and then it's used in livestock feed Um, like how does that work with what the livestock are consuming if they're consuming that as opposed to like sugar-based foods do you know what i mean does that make sense it would be an additive right 
Yeah, so basically methionine is already used as an additive for the livestock feed. It's produced um, synthetically. So these massive chemical plants, we use chemical reactions to make methionine. Mm. Uh, about, a, about a million tons a year, I think, by maybe four or five major companies produce methionine. So they, they add it. About if, if you have one kilogram of methionine, you add it to feedstock, uh, what you get back is about equal to 260 kilograms of soybeans. So, um, so they add methionine in that way. But if we make it from the bacteria, it's more of a bio-based, um, essentially non-synthetic, more organic version of methionine. Right. And, and it, it makes really good use of the waste products, right, that you then... Exactly. Can yeah. use like to close that loop kind of thing. Wow, that's that sounds pretty amazing. Um, so, you guys won the competition. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, but what is going to happen next? Because as I understand it, you you're kind of just like you know doing this on the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so so this year, um, whenever we we pitched the idea, so every team had about 10, 15 minutes to present their ideas on stage. And this year it was open to the public, so Merck invited um, lots of uh, scientists from universities across the world, as well as entrepreneurs and venture capitalists. So we really had a, a platform to present it on more of a global stage. Um, and so we really hope that we showed that this idea is feasible, um, you know, giving that we know these different molecular pathways, giving the numbers marketing side of you. So we're, we're hoping that we kind of got the word out and, and hopefully... Um, others will see that you know this is this is possible. Maybe we can actually use this um, this kind of new technology to tackle plastic problems. Mike, is it existing tech in terms of people using um, E. coli in a similar situation, but different byproducts? Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, we use methionine production as a proof of concept, but you could use this genetic pathway to engineer into bacteria that produce basically anything. Um, so lots of bacteria um, that are in, already in this existing infrastructure, they feed with uh, glucose, which is pretty expensive. Um, and so if we can feed them plastic and then they can get, you know, their insulin or whatever compounds using a plastic-based approach. So, uh, sorry. Cool. Yeah. so suppose that this, this idea takes off and somebody takes this on. Uh, how do you see the the landscape of our our waste change is this is this idea meant to you know how this uh, uh, engineer Boran Slat from the Netherlands he is you know trying to clean up the the Great uh, Pacific garbage patch at the moment and bringing in all of those ocean plastics fishing it out of the out of the oceans and bringing it back to land um, is is that a possible application you might see for the future or how how do you envision the future Yeah, I mean I think this would shine a new light on plastic because right now we see it as a garbage um, and that it's not really worth anything. Uh, but if now we can use plastic as a feed source, then that puts a new perspective on, on how we look at it. So now we can actually probably make money off it. So uh, instead of people, you know, just throwing out plastic into a garbage can, uh, we'll have more incentives maybe to put it into this new pipeline where we can use it to produce um, goods. So uh, I think if, if you know, uh, partnering with these, these people that are looking to clean up plastic but don't know where to put it. Um, this could be an interesting way to, to make use of it. Are you restricted to particular types of polymers or can you um, sort of apply it or tweak it to different types? Yeah, so, so, this, so this is still a very new emerging field. Right now, these enzymes look like they, they just, um, they're mainly used for um, degrading PET plastic, which is the type of plastic that you'll find in water bottles and food packaging. Um, Petroleum-based, right? So not yeah. bioplastics. Yeah, yeah, ex 
exactly. Um, but they also showed more recently that these enzymes can also degrade a kind of emerging type of bio-based plastic called PEF. I think it's polyethylene pyroinate. Um, so there's potential that we could take new types of plastics or slightly modify these enzymes so they can degrade other types of plastics as well. I guess now the next question is, uh, do you get any benefit if somebody picks up your idea or did you have to sign it away when you entered the competition? Yeah, so, yeah, the, the way that they, there was an anniversary edition of the competition this year, so they opened it to the public, so anything that was generated, um, we just want anyone to, to make use of it. Um, so there was lots of interesting ideas put out there, and if someone wants to go with it, um, yeah, I think that's, that's great. If we can get this off the ground, I'd be happy to, to join in uh, and, and give my perspective and help, but, but right now I'd just love to see someone take this forward. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for um, making the time to come on air and talk about these really exciting developments. Um, because, you know, it, it's really easy to get quite depressed about the state of our oceans and, you know, this gigantic plastic pollution problem we are facing, um, you know, as a planet, really. Um, so it is really great and really stimulating to, to hear some amazing new ideas and to know that, you know, ideas are coming and, and in the future uh, we might come up with some things to mitigate the, you know, the problems that we are facing today. So thank you very much for coming on the show today, Mike. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Welcome back to 855 AM 3CR. You are listening to Out of the Blue. I'm Donna and we've also got Fum and Matt in the studio this morning. And we're going to start with a little bit of news. A dead whale has washed ashore in the eastern Indonesia in eastern Indonesia with 5.9 kilograms of plastic waste in its stomach. You may have seen the photos on, on Facebook. Uh, it was a nine and a half meter long sperm whale and it was uh, found near a national park in southeast Sulawesi. And in its stomach, they took out the whole thing and counted everything. It had 115 plastic cups, four plastic bottles, 25 plastic bags, two flip-flops, a nylon sack, and more than 1,000 other assorted, unidentified pieces of plastic. And the find is causing concern among environmentalists and government officials, as it should. And Park Chief Harry Santoso said that it was not possible to determine if the plastic had caused the whale's death because of the animal's advanced state of decay. In Indonesia, an archipelago of 260 million people is the world's second largest plastic polluter after China, according to a study published in the journal Science in January. Indonesia produces... 3.2 million tons of mismanaged plastic waste per year, of which 1.29 million tons ends up in the ocean, the study said. The government is currently making efforts to reduce the use of plastic, including urging shops not to provide plastic bags for customers and teaching about the problem in schools nationwide to meet a government target of reducing plastic use by 70% by 2025. And Donna, I uh, remember you did a show on Bottle for Botol. Yeah, just I think last week it was. Yeah, yeah so if you are interested in some great community initiatives that are happening there at the moment, uh, go and uh, download the podcast of last week and have a listen. This week also marked the 40th anniversary of the end of commercial whaling in Australia, with the closure of our last whaling station in the waters off Western Australia's south coast. On the 20th of November in 1978, the ships returned to the Chains Beach Whaling Company by nightfall and they towed behind them the last whale to be legally caught in Australian waters, a female sperm whale. 
The closure of the whaling station had been announced in July 1978 amid a bitter standoff between protesters and politicians. For decades, whaling had played a fundamental role in the social and economic fabric of Albany. With the product at the centre of the whaling industry, it was not meat or ivory, but whale oil. It can still be found in backyard sheds around Albany, but it was highly prized in Europe and North America as a transmission fluid and a lubricant. Nowadays, the whaling station is a museum, recording the history of Albany's whaling industry. Thanks for those news headlines, Pam. Um, and now we are going to pay a little bit of a tribute to Matt Reardon, <laughs> our fabulous panellist um, on Out of the Blue. Matt's been panelling with Out of the Blue on and off for... 18 or so years? Yeah, so I was a co-host for the first few years and then took over panelling on a week's notice. So Let yeah, that sink in, people. Fire. 18 years. We just worked out that it's about a generation ago well, that, not that Matt old. started. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how did you get to be on the show, Matt? Did well, you... I was a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed honour student <clears throat> and I was invited in uh, to talk about my project on the elephant fish looking at spermatophore formation in males. So, yeah, looking at um, basically the reproductive life cycle of male elephant fish, which are distantly related to sharks and rays. And who was your host? Um, I remember remember Michelle Barrett-Deaton. I can't remember who else was on it, but I do remember, I won't say what they said to me during a break, but um, embarrassing the hell out of me before they cut (laughs) back to me live and then inviting me onto the show as a co-host afterwards. (laughs) Nice. Do you have a most memorable moment from Out of the Blue and your time at 3CR, Matt? Oh, look, there's been a lot of really good interviews and sort of studio moments and mishaps and things like that. (laughs) But um, one of my favourites was getting out on the Pelican and with Natalie Davey and my co-host Andrew Vance at the time a few times. And on one of the trips, we did a um, sort of a live to the boat from... Um, we, we both put on some scuba gear, took down a video camera and um, sort of transmitted that footage live to the boat so um, all the educators wow. on board could get a view of what was going on underneath them. And, um, yeah, getting a bit of uh, radio interview material out of that was was pretty cool. But, yeah, there's been a lot of great guests over the years, international and local. So, yeah, it's been good fun. And, of course, one of your highlights has been working with Farm and I for the last couple of years. (laughs) Well, yes, yes, of course. it's um, When we don't make you cringe. Yeah, what a way to go out. That's been great. (laughs) And have you got any post-out-of-the-blue retirement plans coming Um, up? Probably just a bit more sleeping in on Sundays, I guess, and listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR, 8.55am. Excellent. And oh, it's great. been great. Thank you. And Good. I'm leaving it in great hands. You guys have done really well. Yeah, we're taking well, over the panel. We are, but we're also kind of hoping that you will be back every now and then. Well, I live just down the road, so yeah. there's, you know, ever at need. And of course, uh, I mean, what I have noticed over the, the few years that I've been involved is that for our yearly trivia night, you always seem to be able to... Get a good crew together with Andrew Vance as well and uh, a bunch of other people uh, participating. So we definitely hope to see you back then. Yeah, good point. Yeah, definitely come to the trivia. You're joining the um, cast of alumni of Out of the Blue. So we'll hope to see you back, um, yeah, for our Radiothon show and fundraiser. And thank you for all your hours of hard work on the panel and presenting as well. So that's just about all we've got time for today. Um, You've been listening to Out of the Blue. I'm Donna, Farm and Matt also in the studio. Up next is Sally with Out of the Pan. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. 
Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live.